0: Okay, law of the gospel. Kind of an odd one, right? Have you ever searched for that phrase in the scriptures, law of the gospel? You won't find it. There's not a lot. And which is a puzzle because I think the Lord is saying, I want you to figure this out. And I want you to put some thought into this. And so it's hard for me to say, hey, book chapter and verse, today's easy. Let's read this this scripture because it's going to talk about the law of the gospel. And so we're going to put a lot of puzzles together. We've been putting some puzzles together and that is that we've seen that telestial to terrestrial is more of an outer and terrestrial to celestial is more of an inner. So, do we covenant to obey the law of obedience in the chapel? Is the temple the first time you commit it you promise to obey the law of the gospel or the law of obedience. Heaven's no we made that covenant in the waters of baptism, right? So the temple is kind of a, all right, let's take this to the next level. So in the spirit of that, what is the invitation that the temple is asking us in obeying the law of the gospel? What's the next level? What's stepping up to the, ne- what's different in the temple than in the chapel do we in the waters of baptism and at the sacrament table covenant to obey the law of the gospel well don't i promise to pay a tithe and isn't tithing part of the gospel don't i promise to keep the sabbath day holy because it's a part of the gospel i mean the baptismal covenant doesn't say anything about tithing and sabbath day and honesty it's assumed when we made the covenant of baptism that we understood that there was a set of rules to obey and that we were committing to obey that set of rules. So as I see this logical flow, he says, all right, in order to get to the celestial kingdom, there's things you need to do. Wait, did I spell it wrong? I I'll admit I freely admit in temporal things thou shalt not have strength, obedience. To what you're teaching than what yes. Have. So this is everything I need to do. And then he says, but there are some things that are preventing you from doing them. Those things you need to let go of. So will you? do the things I ask, and let go of the things that interfere. I will, Lord, I'm all on board. But that's hard to commit to do without a set of instructions. What do I need to obey? And what do I need to let go of? So the way I think that works is the Lord says, look, I will put them all into a package. I'll wrap them up neatly into a package. And that package will tell you what to do and what to let go of. And I'm gonna call this the gospel. Do you see the logical flow? Will you do everything I ask? Yes. Will you let go of the things that interfere? I will. This is where those instructions are found Will you obey the gospel? I will, Lord. Wasn't that assumed in our baptismal covenants that I would obey and sacrifice and follow the gospel? Do you think I promised to follow a prophet when I was baptized? Wouldn't you agree that that was part of my baptismal covenant? That it was assumed that that part of the gospel is what I need to obey and sacrifice. So this is not a new covenant. So what then is the emphasis that the temple seems to be giving? And this is where we could go in so many different directions. And as I have prepared for tonight, this is kind of where the Lord pushed me. If I were to draw a circle and you looked at it from that distance, you would say that's a pretty crisp circle. Those are pretty defined lines, right? Now, I can't have you move closer. Instead of having you move closer, I'm just going to bring the circle closer to you. But the analogy is, would you come in closer The closer you get to the circle, you would then realize that those are not crisp lines. That's a pretty fuzzy line. Now what if you got really, really close to the circle? What would this look like? And maybe it's messy. The gospel to a convert is pretty clear, isn't it? It's so different than what the world is teaching, it's pretty easy to say, oh, that's the gospel. But what happens as you grow up in the church and you get further and further in the church? The fuzziness of what is and isn't the gospel Becomes more of the challenge you have to face. What is and what isn't? I think that's the higher covenant. Are you committed to the gospel and are willing to push out the fuzziness of the things that are not? Why would you say? We're gonna do a a whole bunch of examples. Let me illustrate with one. I'm gonna use because the temple covenant mentions this one This is the one I'm gonna choose When you're coming into the church the idea of a prophet Does what to your head? A prophet blows my mind. Oh My goodness, we have a prophet that received revelation blows my mind, right? But then when you come into the church and you spend a lot of time in the church, what begins to happen? What do you begin to notice? Well, I've seen prophets make some mistakes. And the line gets a little fuzzy as to what is and isn't a prophet. When is and isn't a prophet acting as a prophet? And that's what I mean. People, as they're coming into the church, don't see that. But the more you're in the church, is it the gospel to believe that everything that comes to the prophet is pure scripture? I get a lot of hesitance there. Normally you shake or you nod or you shake your head definitively, but that one... Because why? Why, why do you hesitate? Ah, do you see? The very tone of your voice says it's what? The line is fuzzy. And I think what I want to talk about in terms of temple is I covenant to obey the law of the gospel, meaning I covenant to know what is and isn't. The gospel. It fascinates me how many times Jesus pointed that out. Turn to 3 Nephi 11. As soon as he shows up in the American continent, he gets to the American continent, and then he starts teaching this idea. Go to 3 Nephi. Let's just start in 11 as a reference point. So ha- come, feel the nail marks in my hands, right? Then he immediately starts going into be baptized. Look at verse 22. On this wise shall ye baptize that there shall be no more disputation. And he says, look, you, we can't do this. We can't do this arguing and contention. Verse 29, contention is not of me. One of the very first things he teaches is contention is not of me. And then before the chapter is even over, He says in verse 40, whosoever shall declare, what does it say? More or less than this and establish it for my doctrine, the same cometh of evil and is not built upon my rock. In other words, the problem is the edges, the gospel as given to us by God, allow me to just draw it as a box. There's the gospel. That's what he has declared is his gospel. The problem is that what do we do as members of the church? Sometimes we make more than we should, and sometimes we make less. What is causing people to leave the church? It's usually not what's inside that box. What's causing people to leave the church today? It's the fuzziness on the edges. It's the more or less. And that's what's causing people a lot of concern. And I think the covenant we make in the temple, at least part of it is, will you know what the gospel is and what it isn't? Will you not be shaken By things that are more or less. He's going to repeat that free phrase many times in the scriptures. Don't make it more than this and don't make it less than this. Whosoever shall declare more or less than this and establish it for my doctrine, the same cometh of evil and is not built upon my rock. And one of the great challenges of membership in the church is to know what is and is not in that box. So let's take the prophet. Since the covenant in the temple, the language when we make the, the covenant of the, law, of the law of the gospel, mentions the Lord's anointed, let's take the Lord's anointed. And you'll begin to see that everything in the gospel has to be balanced between more and less. Now, before we get to the prophet, let me, let's just practice. Let's just practice. Let's take the word of wisdom. What is and isn't the word of wisdom? Are there members of the church who make more? You're smiling. Are there members of the church who make more of the word of wisdom than is really there? Push it too far. And we, we don't want to, we're being broadcast and we're recording this, so we're, we're going to be careful not to be offensive. But I have seen many people take the word of wisdom and push it too far. I grew up in a home where chocolate was outlawed. Now the thinking, bless my parents' hearts, was that the reason coffee and tea are against the word of wisdom is because they contain caffeine and guess what else contains caffeine chocolate therefore i ate no chocolate growing up and if we had a little bit more time i would tell you some stories about going too far now when it comes to word of wisdom are there people who do too little they don't take it far enough now, the covenant of the gospel is, will you find what is and isn't the gospel? And I, we won't do this tonight because we won't have time, but I'd love to do what we're going to do tonight. Maybe we will have time. Maybe we'll take time. I don't know. But we really ought to have some serious discussions about what is and isn't the word of wisdom because the word of wisdom has been blown out of proportion in some regards and has become more than it is, and in some regards has become less than it is. The covenant is, will you obey the gospel as declared by God? He gets to decide what is and isn't his gospel, not me. But my, my danger, the danger is that we have a tendency to push sometimes the edges. So let me present this idea of a prophet kind of as a pendulum. I'm going to draw it as a circle because I see people cycle through this. Quite often we have some people who get to this extreme and they just kind of think prophets are infallible. That prophets are perfect, and that prophets never make mistakes. In other words, they see the world as 100% ideal. Now, tell me what's going to happen to that member. You all know what's going to happen to that member, right? The more they come in, the more they're exposed to history and church history, and the closer you get you get the more you realize that prophets are not perfect, nor were they ever expected to be so. I love some of the things Joseph Smith said. Can I read a couple quotations from Joseph Smith? Here's one of my favorites. Joseph said, he said that he was but a man And they must not expect him to be perfect. If they expected perfection from him, he should expect it from them. But if they would bear with his infirmities and the infirmities of the brethren, he would likewise bear with their infirmities. It's hypocritical to expect a prophet to be perfect, right? Because I'm not. I'm nowhere near perfection, so why would another mortal being, regardless of his human calling or his church calling, be all of a sudden perfect? There's only been one perfect person. And so this person is headed for a crash. This is the innocent optimist who thinks the church is perfect and that prophets are perfect. But what often happens? You've all seen it. Tell me what happens to this ideal member of the church, the bubble pops and real church history stories and real experiences happen and then they often swing all the way over to the other side where now prophets are just mortal and they're just imperfect and they can't do anything right. It's almost as if they go from the ideal the real. Well, come on, let's get realistic. And they just eliminate all the divine, and they turn the prophet into this very imperfect person and can't do anything right. Now, are either of those true? Neither of those are true. And so, what's interesting, I had someone, the beautiful analogy. This is often compared to the creation, where everything was ideal. This is the fall. And what we need to do is find what? The atonement. Here is the atonement. And what's the point here? That there is something ideal about a prophet they have something divine within them and I can't ignore that. There is no logical explanation for how the Book of Mormon came forth other than the one the prophet gave. No other possible explanation makes any sense at all. I have to conclude that Joseph was just an instrument of divinity and brought forth a miracle. There is no explanation for it. They are divine. But they are imperfect. Would it shake your faith to know that Gordon B. Hinckley bought forged documents? He paid a million dollars of church funds for a Mark Hoffman forgery. An early church document. You were too young. It was Mac in my day. Gordon B. Hingley. Now, what do these people, what do these, what's going to be hard for these people? What is it that the realists are kind of leaning? A prophet, if he really were a prophet, then he would have known it was a forgery. Okay then should Jacob have, no, should Isaac have known that Jacob was dressed up like Esau? The Bible seems to suggest that prophets can be fooled, that they are not being told everything, but there is something divine about them. And that's the fuzziness. See, that line is so fuzzy. Is everything a prophet says, revelation from Heavenly Father? Can Russell Nelson go on social media and encourage people to get vaccinated and I be opposed to a vaccine and still have faith that he's a prophet? Very much so. Is God telling me to be vaccinated on social media from a prophet? No, that's very different than general conference, thus saith the Lord. Do you see the fuzziness of the line? And so part of the temple stretching of our faith is to say, do you recognize the more and the less? Do you recognize what's too much and too little? Expecting a prophet to be more than a prophet is, but expecting a prophet to be less than a prophet is, is speaking lightly of him. Therefore, my covenant is to define that box. What is a prophet? You guys know, there's a name Simon's Rider ring a bell, church history? Simon's Rider was an early convert who will be one of those who tar and feather the prophet Joseph Smith in Kirtland. He was called as a mission, He was called as a missionary. His name is spelled, I forget which is the right one, Simon's, I think that's correct. When the Lord, when Joseph Smith issued his mission call, he wrote, and Simon's writer went all the way over here because what did he now say? What did he now conclude? He's not a prophet because a prophet would know how to spell my name. Now, that's taking the the doctrine of a prophet too far. To say, well, he can't be a prophet because he would have known how to spell my name. So therefore, nothing he's done is divine. And he ends up trying to tar and he's part of the party that tarred and feathered the prophet Joseph Smith because he went all the way here over the spelling of a name. That's going too far. But there were a lot of people who just expected the prophet, everything the prophet did was just perfect. Do you see that fuzziness? And so we go into the temple and we say, Lord, I promise I'll obey the gospel. And I think he turns right around and says, Job number one is to define what is and what isn't. What is too much and what is too little. So part of our covenant is to say, I will believe truth. I will believe what is true. Now, I wish I'd gotten here earlier. We would have gotten the TV out because I want to show you a video from um, Elder Uchtdorf. But I'll just read the poem that he read. Now you tell me as we read this, which of these six knows what's true? Which of these six knows the truth? Ready? I love this poem. The six men of Indostan. It was six men of Indostan to learning much inclined, who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind that each my observation might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant and and happening to fall against its broad and sturdy side. At once began to bawl, goodness me, the elephant is very like a wall. Based on his own experiences, an elephant is a wall. The second feeling of the tusk cried, ho, what have we here? So very round and smooth and sharp. To me, tis mighty clear. This wonder of an elephant is very like a spear. An elephant's a spear. The third approached the animal and happening to take the squirmy trunk within its hands, thus boldly up and spake. I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a snake. The fourth reached out an eager hand and felt about the knee. What most this wondrous beast is like is mighty plain, quoth he. Tis clear enough the elephant is very like a tree. The fifth, who chanced to touch the ear, said even the blindest man can tell what this resembles most, deny the fact who can. This marvel of an elephant is very like a fan. The sixth no sooner had begun about the beast to grope. Then seizing on the swinging tail that fell within his scope. I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a rope. And so these men of Indostan disputed long and loud, each in its own opinion, conceding stiff and strong, though each was partly in the right, and all were in the wrong. Is an elephant a spear? No but he had his own experiences. Could I convince him based on his own experiences that an elephant is not a spear? So how many people believe they know what the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is based on touching it and feeling a tusk or the trunk or the tail? Are you willing to admit your experiences might not be a correct, might not have given you a full understanding of the truth? You have covenanted to believe truth. The gospel is the collection of all truth. But do you know what is true? And are you willing, are you humble enough to say, maybe I don't? Plural marriage, for example. How many people have approached the church, reached out, and felt a tusk and said, plural marriage is a horrible thing, therefore the church of Jesus Christ is a horrible thing, and they run away, never to conclude anything else. now are you willing to say I don't see all the truth I mean what's the problem with polar marriage let's see if we can define the problem okay here's everyone who experienced plural marriage, okay? Which isn't everyone, right? This is everyone who experienced plural marriage. How many of these people wrote about it? Wrote it down? How many of them wrote their experiences down? All of them? No, just a small little group. Now, how many of their records got preserved? Preserved over the years? Again, a small little group of that. How many of those records that were preserved have been found and taken care of and published? Now, we're trying to view something this big through the lens of how big a hole. Now, are any of these, are any of these the words of Joseph Smith? not one, he never ever wrote about it. So we're trying to make some conclusions about the elephant by touching one small little piece of the known history. Now everyone has to make conclusions, don't they? Everyone, no one knows all the truth because what's been preserved is just the smallest of little fractions. So what if, what if we're completely wrong? What if the elephant isn't a tusk, but every experience I've ever had says the elephant's a tusk? Are you willing to say, there's more I've made it less than it is and there's more I need to discover or I've gone too far in my conclusions and I need to back off because I don't have all the truth and I will find it now let's get two definitions of truth that I love doctrine Covenants 93 here's the first one turn to doctrine Covenants 93 What is truth? Beautiful definition. Verse 24. What is truth? Dion? And truth is knowledge of things as they are, and as they were, and as they are to God. So what's true about plural marriage? It is a thing that happened. Okay. What's true? What's true is what happened. What was, what is, and what is to come? How much of that do I know? Now, let me add a beautiful word. Book of Mormon, I love this edition. Go to Jacob chapter 4, verse 19, and tell me what word Jacob adds. Truth is knowledge of things as they are, as they were, and as they are to come. What's the word, Dion? Jacob 4, 19, 13, sorry, 13. I'm not wearing my glasses, sorry. It's one verse 13. Wherefore, the Spirit speaketh the truth and lieth not. Wherefore, it speaketh of things as they really are. So, is my understanding of the prophet how things really are? If the answer is no, then what would you say? I lack truth. I have made covenants to seek truth. Lord, I will follow truth. I will not go too far. I will not go too short. And if my experience is not fully correct, then help me. What does that guy who believes the elephant, a tusk need to do? I need to venture out and gather more data. And when I have, oh, wait a minute, this is different. This is a, it's a spear and a wall. Wait a minute, it's a spear, a wall, and a tree. Wait a minute, it's a spear, a wall, a tree, and a snake. It's a spear, a wall, a tree, a snake, and a rope. Oh, now I see. It's an elephant. That's the challenge of the gospel. There are not, by this definition, things as they really are, really were, and really will be, by that definition, who knows truth? Is there anyone on earth that knows truth? Nope. Therefore, who must I learn to get my truth from? From God. So, when you make the covenant of the law of the gospel, implied in obeying it, is the understanding that you will seek it, that you will find and know what is true. What is true about a prophet? What is true about church history? What is true about the Book of Mormon? What is true? The gospel of Jesus Christ encompasses everything that's true, everything as it really is. And I think we need to be humble enough to sometimes say, I don't fully see all the truth. Help me. A couple of examples that I think are important to read. Let's go to Mark chapter 9. What do I do with truths I don't understand? What do I do with Plural marriage if it confuses me and it frustrates me and I find myself wanting to walk away from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because of the practice of plural marriage. What do I do when I encounter something I don't know how to settle? What do I do? Mark chapter 9, I love this little story with the man whose son had a demon and he came to Jesus. Go to the New Testament, Mark chapter 9. Verse 22, oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. If thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. What was the key word in that? If you can. Jesus turned right that, that right around and said in verse 23, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that he believeth. Now tell me what the Father is going to wrestle with in the next verse. There's a lot of things I don't know, I don't know where they fit. Gordon B Hinckley buying forged documents. I don't know where that fits. Can a prophet buy a forged document and still be a prophet? Can Joseph call me on a mission and misspell my name? I don't know where that fits. I don't know. Is the church false because Joseph can't spell my name? So tell me what the man says in verse 24. Lord, I believe. What's he holding on to? Here are the things I know are true. Help me with the things I don't know. That's very different then the tendency when something shakes my faith to throw it all away. How many people are just throwing their whole membership away because of one thing that doesn't square with the truth? A bishop that mistreated you and said something he shouldn't have or did something. So we throw the whole church away because I was offended by a bishop. Lord, here are the things I know are true. Help me settle the things that I don't know about. Do you have a list of what you know is in the box? Can you take inventory and say, I know, I know these things are in the box. I'm not letting go of them. I will not let go of these things. I know they are true. But these things, I don't know about. I'm gonna hold on to what I know. Did you know that Joseph Smith put his head in a hat to translate the Book of Mormon? That shakes a lot of people. Because every picture shows him doing what? All the pictures show him doing what? Right? Did he even use the plates? for most of it, he didn't even use the plates. He just put his head in a hat and translated the book. And people get bothered by that. Okay, ask me if I know how the Book of Mormon was translated, ask me if I can explain how it was translated. I can't Lord, I can't, but ask me if I've read it and ask me if I have a witness that the words inside it are incredible and they changed my life and I know they're true. Words like, if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness that they might be humble and my grace is sufficient to all men that humble themselves. How in the world did Joseph Smith come up with that verse? I tell you these things that you might learn wisdom, that you might learn that when you're in the service of your fellow beings, you are only in the service of your God. I know the words are true, so I can deal with not knowing how it was translated. I know the words are true. Do you see what what the covenant is? I will find the truth, even if that means questioning my own experience about the elephant being a tusk. I will be open. I will be open-hearted, open-minded. I will investigate. I will hold on to what I know as I deal with what I don't. I think that is preliminary to the law of the gospel. Know what's true. Know what's too much and what's too little. And push those away. Do we sometimes in the church mistake the too much for the gospel? We do. And it causes people to shake their faith. But don't be one of those. Do you have an inventory of what you know is in that box. Hold on to it as you wrestle with the things that are more or less. Spend your life defining what's in that box and what's not. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not what some people claim. It is not the more, it is not the less. It is what he has declared. Elephants are not tusks. They're not, they're not spears. They're not snakes and fans and walls and trees and ropes. Elephants are elephants. And I know that. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.